0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host.
1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today on the show, we have Lowell Applebaum with Vista Cova. Welcome.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Lee.
1: Well, I'm excited to learn what your up to. Tell us a little bit about VistaCova. How are you serving folks?
0: Sure. So we are a set of facilitators that have a depth and breadth of experience in the association space. So we help organizations with strategic planning, envisioning, and reimagining how their governance and leadership should be. Uh, we worked with about 86 associations last year, on track for over 100 this year, and really try to help any organization that is mission-focused to imagine how they could accomplish that mission even more.
1: So what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in association work?
0: Uh, Probably like most people that you speak to, uh, I'm not sure it was by initially by intention. Uh, We I have a master's in education um, and actually in a doctoral program for the same. And in not wanting to be in a classroom but with a passion for learning, found my way to associations, uh, where of course so much of what we create are environments where we want members to learn about one another, for them to Increase their own learning on their professional growth journey, uh, and started inside the American Institute of Chemical Engineers. Worked inside about five different organizations, and finally just missed working with boards and strategy and leadership. And so, became a certified professional facilitator, which is in part what I have been doing inside associations. And uh, five and a half years later, here we are.
1: Now. Um- why did you choose though the path of associations rather than since you're serving businesses and industry? Why didn't you yeah. just work for a uh, you know a company within you know maybe was a member of the association rather than the association itself? Like, how did you see kind of that yeah. path or that the value there rather than you know being in the company that's a member?
0: I think at the heart of the answer to that question is really a service mindset. Uh, although of course my company is a for-profit company, Uh, it's really dedicated towards mission-based organizations. You know, there's a really heartfelt belief that the work that nonprofits and specifically associations do in trying to create these communities and places of connection to better represent a collective voice for industry, for professionals, can have impact on community society, can make a a better world. And I have have three little ones uh, that I want to build a better world for. And I just have a strong belief that associations are a real key way to do that. And so if we can continue to build up their strength and continue to build up their profile, uh, then I think that we'll see a better world because of it.
1: Now, are you seeing um, associations kind of lean into that, um, trying to be the true north for their, their members and their industries that they represent, that they are trying to role model these behaviors that folks say are important, uh, but maybe don't execute at the level that people would like them to?
0: I think the, the past few years in particular, as we've experienced ever successive, more rapid societal shifts that associations in general have been able and been forced to actually embrace that more, right? I mean, the, you've, they've had to be representatives of industry when that industry has been disrupted. Uh, and so there's been a great opportunity for those organizations that can recognize that their mission is not just to throw a great meeting, right? That their, their mission is not just to make a, a pretty journal, but their mission is to create the right value and resources to amplify and to embody the voice and potential of their membership or the industry they represent. Yeah. Those, those organizations are taking mission to heart and are really, it's an impressive how they're innovating to try to go beyond what have been traditional models to think about, you know, if we can do anything, but not everything like, what are the most important places we could invest to advance that mission? And so I, I do I do think that there's been a, a double down, right? I do think there's been a serious focus on that. I think many organizations are still learning how to do it.
1: Now, you mentioned that um, the, the, the chaos and the disruptions that have been happening yeah. lately have been maybe unprecedented in our time, at least. Um, but how have uh, these associations done when it comes to pivoting and adjusting and, um, you know, kind of maybe getting outside of their comfort zone when it comes to the status quo that they've had to make changes. They've had to, uh, you know, no longer rely on things that historically maybe have served them, but they've had to make adjustments just even like you said, like coming out of the pandemic, going serving members always in person or with live events in real life, shifting to some more virtual or remote or, um, you know, not uh, in-person events. You know, that was a big shift in providing value to members. Um, how have you seen them, um, you know, handling that disruption?
0: You know, I, I think that you would hear from uh, many CEOs that many of the changes that have come uh, have been places that there was the initial intention for uh, the idea of being able to serve a broader audience, to be more inclusive by geography, by having virtual programming, isn't novel. Uh, it's just not anything that for many organizations was a short-term priority. It was more of a slow roll of how do we get there. Uh, welcome pandemic and forced innovation. Uh, all of a sudden you see how quickly can we adapt. And so I think organizations have taken the two-ish years of pandemic as a time of forced innovation uh, and that's opened up a lot of experimentation and innovation in ways that many organizations probably needed. I think the the real tipping point we're at now uh, is that as we go from pandemic to endemic, right? And there's still, of course, societal shift and change that's happening nearly every week. Uh, we do see that there are some organizations that take a traditional mindset of where can we, Somehow go back, even though they don't have any sort of time travel machine. Rather than taking a mindset of what did we learn over the past two years? What are the new strengths we discovered we had? And rather than try to recreate the past, what is the future we want to design where we leverage those strengths so that we both acknowledge what we had beforehand, but then include what we've been able to learn and create? And so it, perhaps it's not a full shift back to in-person. Perhaps it's not a full shift back to virtual. Is there a blend there, right? Is there a balance there? Uh, and I think that that goes uh, across the gamut. You know, another one, of, cro- of course, for national organizations, at least here in the United States, was the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, the raised profile, of the importance of DEI, JNA. And so I see many organizations we're working with rethinking about their governance structures, Right. How are we choosing a board of directors, not by nepotism, but by strategic competencies and diverse representation? You know, I think that uh, many leaders would tell you that their hope is that isn't something that goes back. Right. But that that is something that continues to have a place of progress and innovation and growth. So there's a there's a lot of opportunity, especially at this moment, to learn the lessons from the past few years to not lose those, but to take what's been a place of forced innovation and to put in place practices of innovation that become part of the routine so it doesn't take a pandemic or some other societal crisis to shift into a mode where we have to think about something new.
1: Now, could you share maybe some of the symptoms that an association is having where maybe they need to kind of inject some of the leadership that you were talking about? Um, Like, what are some signs that maybe things aren't going as well as youth That they have been going?
0: So, I I think if we're talking specifically around leadership here, uh, for many organizations, one of the wake up calls is the generational shift. Uh, It's always interesting when you're talking to a board of directors or leaders of an organization who talk about concerns about the next generation not becoming involved, around the next generation's voice not being uh, joining the organization. And yet, the entire board of directors is the senior experienced generation, right? where is their efforts in inclusion if they want to see that, just as one, one example. So that's, that's one place that often, if they can actually articulate a need for a greater inclusive nature by a differentiated population that isn't present, that doesn't happen by accident. Being welcoming and creating a sense of belonging doesn't happen by accident but by intention. So that, that's certainly uh, what I would say is one indicator. A second indicator I would say is if you look at the systems of leadership within an organization, what you want to try to measure and to ask about is not how well they're able to say yes to things, but how strong is their capacity to say no, right? Is there an inherent system and a belief in the culture that if they say no, if they're willing to cut back or to cease doing some programs because those programs have lived its time, that that's not a place of failure, but that's a place of capacity building so they can be in a space of design and creation about what's needed next. And so organizations that have a culture where saying no, right, where being able and willing to sunset, to pause things, to create capacity for new and innovation, those are the ones that are going to thrive. And and that takes culture, right? Uh, And so I think the the third piece of that would just be that there is an intentional culture in the membership and in the leadership of not just what is the value they're going to produce, but of who they are, right, of what you're going to experience about what we've agreed to and how we function. Uh, In today's day and age, you can buy great products anywhere, but if you're going to actually try to belong somewhere, it's going to be because your beliefs align with the beliefs of the organization or the community that you're joining. And so an articulation and then a fulfillment of what you're going to experience is essential if we actually want to see people not just buy products, but want to belong.
1: Now, are you seeing as we come out of the pandemic um, a hunger for... um belonging to associations, getting re and re-energized by what's happening in the associations? Like our are members are growing at this stage, or are they kind of still hesitant to invest back in an association where they might have dropped the membership during the pandemic because they weren't doing some of the activities that they had used that association for? Yeah.
0: Uh, I think that there's a real hunger for connection and belonging and community. Uh, I think there's a real hunger for a recognition of rapidly changing disruptors and then how do we adapt to those disruptors and who has the right resources and insights that can help prepare us, help prepare our workforce, can help ensure we succeed, right? There's a real hunger for, in this time of great resignation and ever-shifting job places, titles, and personnel of how do we get some stability in workforce, whether that's on the company end and being a great place to connect to potential future employees or on the individual end of, I want to take the next step. My, uh, my employer is not providing the kind of work environment that I think that I need. Where can I go to find the right opportunity? And I think in both of those cases in all those cases that absolutely are places that an association can thrive. And if they do, right, if they do thrive there, then they see growing membership. Uh, but for organizations that don't try to right set uh, the, what they are offering, what they're creating with those really immediate needs of the moment that are going to be here for a bit and will continue to evolve. Then, yeah, I think you're going to see declining affiliation declining membership and declining engagement. It's, it's not enough to have rigorous and good set value of products to buy by transactions, right? You have to be really fluent in the needs of your high priority audiences be able to talk their language so you can cut through this ever loud world and then hopefully create an experience around using those, those pieces of value, those experiences that's going to make them both want to come back, but also share the experience they've had with others. And if they do that. Then those organizations are the ones where we've actually seen membership growth during this time.
1: Are you seeing young people embrace uh, membership in these associations, especially in their industry at the level that maybe, you know, their parents did
0: uh, I, I don't think i'm seeing young people embrace it at the level their parents did be in the same means by which their parents did meaning that there was some when you got to your job that you would stay at for decades your supervisor said you have to join this organization and by the way we'll often pay for you to join this organization and therefore you got your membership right i think that 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 model exists in some places still but not everywhere uh, and so where I see young people wanting and those coming in wanting to affiliate is for those organizations that recognize that, you know, the path to involvement has changed, the path to seeing the value has changed. And so how are they building functional places of leadership development, right? And where those that are coming into an industry can have greater career success because of their affiliation, right? Not that they come in and there's some other new, you have to put in your time before you get any value but rather that organizations are dedicated to being inclusive to all voices and to the needs of differentiated populations from the very first time you come. It doesn't mean everything has to be geared to next-gen, but if nothing is geared to next-gen, why are they going to affiliate and come and stay? Especially when fewer and fewer companies are paying for memberships. If you're going to expect them to pay to affiliate, then just like anything else they purchase in life, if they don't see the value of it in a consistent way, uh, then they're not going to. And I, and I think the, the fault line there is that organizations are all too often still relying on loyalty that's been built over years, decades with traditional members that they can have subpar you know, interface platforms in the digital space. They can have subpar experiences when taking advantage of the value because there's been a good career partnership. But for those that are coming in that are new, that have differentiated expectations, there isn't that base of loyalty that's been built over years. And so you see them either joining and then leaving or not even joining because they can't perceive what the value is to belong until they're inside and there for years. That's too long of an on-ramp.
1: Now, isn't that kind of a warning sign if you aren't attracting younger members that you know troubles brewing?
0: I think that it's a warning sign is probably a good word, but I think it's also an opportunity. Uh, because you can, if it's the priority, you can shift your system. Uh, you know, for a few years, I worked for the American Institute of Chemical Engineers early in my career. Uh, and what happened during my time there, frankly, was that there was this great, robust system of local student and local young professional groups. Uh, but there needed to be a stronger connection to the national group. And so what we created over years was a parallel system of leadership where there were, you know, regional student vice presidents. There was a national student board. And those leaders then actually had mentor opportunities, right, with the actual national leadership, with those that were, like, the full-time, the impressive, the ones who had written their textbooks. And by establishing a parallel system, those young professionals coming in could see leaders of their own generation already within the organization. And surprise, surprise, many of those young professionals in subsequent years actually came onto the board of the organization. And so it's it's a challenge, but I think it's an opportunity that if you start to design, right, if you take a design mindset, if we were designing our systems today, that we were inclusive of the multiple differentiated generations and populace by differentiated diversities that we want to see, what would we actually design, right? Would we design conferences that cost $5,000, When we think about differentiated populations they may have different economic standing, right? Would we design the majority of our value at once a year meetings when we have a global population that may participate if we were virtual? And so if we could take more of a step back and do a design mindset of what would we design, we could probably come closer to right-sizing what we have to what we need than if we just look at what we have and do a little tweak here or there.
1: (laughs) And it gets back to what you're saying, being clear on what your mission and True North is, as well as pushing that kind of value to your members. I mean, if you can get those two things right, you can be more inclusive. You could serve more people in the way that they want to be served in today's world.
0: Absolutely. And I think that you know what's key to that is that that's not static, right? The organization's like, okay, we know what they need, and now we're good for the next five, 10 years. Uh, are in just as much of a pickle uh, as, the, as the ones that said the same thing five years ago and haven't changed. And so what we really need are systems designed within an organization for places of continual input. Hopefully, uh, what I at least talk about often is the curiosity imperative, that an organization as inherently elevates the need to be curious. We'll see leaders that ask more questions than hear their own voice. We'll see staff that seek to listen to members more than just quickly answer a needs-related question. Uh, And we'll seek an overall community that wants to be a learning community that can evolve together. Uh, And if if that can help guide an organization, then those places of differentiated value won't become static. They'll become ever-evolving.
1: Now, can you share a story? Maybe you don't name the name, but maybe explain what the challenge the association had when uh, you came uh, around to help them and then how you were able to help them get to a new level? Sure.
0: So one organization we worked with uh, when I came in had a council of representatives from geographic uh, regions that I believe was around 80 to 90, uh, as well as a board of directors that had partial authority to oversee the fiscal responsibilities, but part of it was in this representative council that met once a year and no one in leadership could draw a clear map of what the leadership should look like looked like currently. Uh, and so the work we did right was to after we had done strategic planning with this group to reimagine the vision, the priorities and what success looks like. One of the things that emerged was like, well, if we're going to be able to do this, we need a leadership system that actually is inclusive, is easy to understand, and is right-sized at the right levels so that we have decisions being made by the right levels of governance. And so the work we did was with a task force that they assembled was to look at what are the best practices in nonprofit association governance leadership happening in the space today to have them then discuss, decide, debate right? What are the things that we need that will fit within our system where we want to see inclusion of voice, but we also want to see meaningful volunteer input and contribution and really help them redesign where we got uh, still a representative council, but that representative council was just about two dozen. And instead of having roles of fiscal oversight, they had advisory roles. And then the main place of fiscal and legal oversight became the board itself, who could then form the right committees under the advisement, right, with the consideration of this representative council. I mean, that's, that's a big shift in what leadership uh, of decades looks like, but it allowed them to actually be more inclusive by including more inv- voices and advisory capacities while also making everyone's volunteer experience more meaningful because no one felt like they were coming to just rubber stamp something. When they were asked to do something, it was because it was gonna be tied to mission. It was gonna be tied to where the organization needed to go.
1: So over what period of time did it take to make that transition?
0: So that one took just about a year. Uh, We've done some governance transitions in uh, quick ones as short as six months, uh, some as long as two years, depending the size, scope, and what that looks like. Uh, And look, and that's different, you know, the strategic planning sessions we do, uh, that process unto itself is also something that can take anywhere as short as three or four months. That in some cases has taken a year and a half. Uh, And that depends on what the architecture of uh, the strategy outcomes they want to see will really look like.
1: Well, if somebody wants to um, have a more substantial conversation with you or somebody on the team or maybe learn more about your services, what is the website?
0: The website is V i s t a c o v a V-I-S-T-A-C-O-V-A.com.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to share a story.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.